Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Thursday, March 29th, 2018, starting just after 3.13 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 150th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees about the astrological forecast for April of 2018. Uh, hey, guys, welcome back. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Hey, so it's been a month since our last uh, episode, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about the next month because I think we've got a dynamic. And one of the things is a lot of the electional charts are better because I think as you noted to me in private, Austin, we've got a bunch of planets going into their domiciles and exaltations next month, which is actually kind of unique, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, there, there are some jewels uh, scattered amidst some very difficult configurations. Okay, brilliant. Well, we'll get to that later in the episode. So first, we're going to do some news and announcements. We've got some giveaways, some book giveaways to give out as well as an astrological magazine and uh, a little bit of pre-forecast discussion topics. And then eventually, we'll get to the actual astrological uh, forecast for April and the auspicious electional charts that were found by Lisa Scheim for us for this month. So I'll put timestamps uh, both on the description page for this episode on the podcast website, as well as uh, below in the description for the YouTube video if you're watching the video version of this episode, just in case you want to jump around or skip forward to the forecast or what have you. Uh, but otherwise, let's do some some news and announcements. So first, um, Kelly, you just got back from NORWAC, the Northwest Astrological Conference in Seattle, right? I did. I did. It was last weekend, I guess. And uh, it was amazing, as all Norwalk conferences seem to be. Just a really great group of people. And uh, just, I hadn't, I realized I hadn't been to a conference in 18 months. So I was kind of like getting back into my conference groove and just catching up with everyone. So, you know, huge thanks to Laura Nalbandian and her family who put on such a wonderful show. The diversity scholarship that I think had been organized for NORWAC in partnership with Samuel Reynolds uh, was phenomenal. So there were a number of diversity scholarship winners there. And I um, hung out with three of the, the winners and they were just amazing people. But there was also a huge amount of people there at that conference that were at their first astrology conference. And uh, so that was kind of nice to get a sense of people coming into the astrology community. And, uh, and then, of course, seeing some of you know, um, you know, people like Tony Howard, who I do a lot of work with, Mark Jones, who's one of my conference buddies, and even, you know, Lynn Bell and Rob Hand and what have you. Um, it's just amazing to see everyone. So yeah, I had a really good time. Highly recommend the recordings if you couldn't make it. Brilliant. And that that's funny that so even though usually like Noroac is an annual conference that happens every year, no matter what, for like the last 30 years. And so what usually happens during a year where there's like a huge mega conference like a, a UAC, a United Astrology Conference, which is happening in May, NORWAC is usually pushed to be a little bit earlier in the year or a little bit later, since it's usually otherwise in May when UAC is taking place. And usually it's like a lot smaller because more people are going to UAC. 
but this year I heard it wasn't even small. It was like, if if anything, almost bigger than a normal size Norwalk conference. Yeah, it. I mean, it did definitely didn't feel like a smaller version of Norwalk, which is often the case uh, with these more like Norwalk in the Pacific Northwest, and then the SOTA conference, which is in Buffalo, and that's another annual conference. And they do tend to have less attendees in a UAC year, but. Certainly, Norwalk did not have that. It, it was still big and vibrant and buzzy. And I mean, there's a huge astrological community in that kind of Pacific Northwest area. Um, and many of those people, I guess, won't make the trip across to Chicago. So they were still happy to come out to Norwalk. So yeah. Right. And there was a lot of new people there where that was literally their first astrology conference ever. Totally. Like there was the diversity scholarship crew, but there was just a bunch of people who were new and there was a huge amount of podcast listeners there as well, um, which was lovely. Uh, and apparently Chris, our secondary progressions episode has been a big hit with people. So that was great. Um, I yeah, know. that's what I heard. I've got a lot of feedback about that episode. It's like one of people's favorites in, in quite a while. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to tell you guys to prepare yourself for people to come up and say things like, oh my God, we go on hikes together all the time because they're listening to the shows, you know, while they're out and about in their everyday life. So yeah, it's just fun to see people in person. Um, and I ended up giving, I had three speeches or, or talks to give. I did one of the keynote uh, presentations uh, on the Friday, which was a huge thing. Um, so I was happy to get that done. And then two talks, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So it's definitely, you know, a steady pace. It feels a little bit like that Mars Saturn vibe, which I know we're going to talk a lot about for April, which was, you know, working a little bit of play, but working. Yeah. That sounds like a really busy conference for you. So you gave, that was your first keynote to like a full, basically almost the entire conference, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely taking things to a new level. It's about 230 people that I um, gave the keynote to. So I had a lot of nerves before, but I was pretty happy with how it went off and uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So yeah, I feel like I've got a good sense of it and, you know, we'll be able to just keep improving uh, with those kinds of things in the future. Awesome. That is so exciting. So you're the first of, I think, of the three of us to do a keynote. Although Austin, a few years ago when you did, uh, you spoke at a tarot conference here in Denver you did something close to that where it seemed like you were addressing like the entire audience, weren't you? Oh, uh, it wasn't a keynote. It was well attended, but um, yeah. I, I wasn't given like special priority. Okay. <laughs> well, K Kelly, then you're the first of the three of us to to give a keynote, but hopefully not the not the last. And maybe I you don't can think help so. I, give I us some be. tips. Give For us some sure. tips when it when it's our time. Lots uh, of lots of practice time talking to the mirror. Um, but Chris, speaking of first, you're going to be doing a, a post-conference workshop at UAC, aren't you? That's a huge honor. Yeah, I got a post-conference workshop at UAC, and so far it's filling up pretty well. I'm actually really excited about it. I did a test run of it last month in Denver where uh, it's always risky because I, I never usually like to do this, but I just like took questions or took charts from the audience because I'm trying to develop and get a few more example charts for this lecture just to pad it out a little bit as a workshop and I I got up and I gave the lecture, which is on using the advanced method of perfections, where you perfect from different houses or different planets, depending on what topics you want to study in a given year. So it's, it's relatively straightforward if you know the technique, but if you don't know the yeah. technique, sometimes people can find it a little bit more challenging to learn than you would think. But it really comes alive when you have a person in front of you 
And I asked people for tell me about like a standout year in your life when there was especially a particular event that happened that was particularly good in one area of your life, but there was a, an event that happened that was particularly bad or negative or difficult in another area of your life. And we did a few example charts of that, and some people had some really amazing examples, and it really brought the technique out in a very vivid way. So I'm hoping to recreate that in a more extended form at this workshop at UAC um, towards the end of the conference. Fantastic. So, oh, just quickly, and then Austin, you, you go. I actually heard that the workshop was sold out, Chris. It may not be completely. Um, I don't know if you have heard the same thing. I don't know. But, I mean, we'll have to get a bigger room. I mean, if that's the case. I, uh, but also, I know someone who has a ticket who to your workshop that can't make it. So if somebody's trying to get a ticket and it is sold out, I have a contact. So just get in touch with me and um, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, we'll have to look into it. And um, Austin, sorry, Austin, you, what were you going to say? You have a major development that's coming up for UAC. Can you talk yes. about that yet, or can we mention that, or can we just say there there may be something in the works? Um, yeah, I think I can talk about that. Um, okay. so but before I do that, yeah, uh, just one comment on perfecting from multiple points within the chart. Mm -hmm. Um, so in my geodish studies, I read Vedic astrology. Um, I discovered that perfections are part of the arsenal and they, uh, they perfect from the rising sun and moon and the way that they, um, the, the way that the information is often displayed is a triple wheel and it's really useful to look at it all at once. I found that mm. extremely helpful. I think you should probably steal that. Yeah, um, I'd like to see that. And there's a particular name for that wheel, the something chakra, but anyway, um, I was like, yes, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're going to focus on is how, even though perfections from the ascendant is like the most important and is often is where you start. And that's the one I always do. I still always find that if there's something that happens in the life and you can't account for it, like there's some event that happens every time I then perfect from the sect light from the sun in a day chart or the moon in a night chart, it always shows up. So I always have had this like recurring theme of needing to pay more attention to those other perfections, especially from the sect light. And, and oftentimes when I don't, I miss some crucial piece of information. Yeah. You know, as far as that goes, I, for a number of years, noticed that there was almost this perfection lag where I would be oriented towards one thing, like let's say third house topics. And, but it wouldn't quite fully manifest until the the year after. And then when I noticed that my moon is in the 12th and so that my my perfecting from the moon will always be one year behind my perfecting from the ascendant and mm. the moon in my chart is the lord of the ascendant, so it has extra oomph, um, that all clicked into place. Um, there's, you know, uh, it's sort of like orienting one year and then everything catches up the next year materially, which is what we look for when we perfect from the moon, right? More material fortune-based things. Yeah. Um, but as far as my big news, um, the anthology of uh, essays on astrological magic that I've been co-editing with Three Hands Press for a while, which was put on hiatus for most of the last year, has um, surged back to life. There will be a public announcement as well as a public or a public publication date <laughs> um, within the next week. And um, fingers crossed, I'll be able to walk into UAC with a stack of books. 
Awesome. That would be amazing. And maybe do a book signing or something like that. Yeah, that would be, well, many of the, many of the contributors are going to be there, you know, uh, Demetra George, Lee Lehman, Ben Dykes, myself, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. That is huge. Uh, that's going to be a big landmark publication just because it seems like there's been a lot, you know, there's been a lot of increasing interest in traditional astrology over the past 10 years and I've also seen from a distance, because I'm not that involved in it, but it increased, it seems, an interest in, in the sort of magical and occult community. And this seems like the first time where there's been a serious attempt to do a sort of crossover volume between those two. Yeah, and that was absolutely my intention. Um, you know, that there's been some good work done, especially by Christopher Warnock um, on mm. this material. Um, I, I would say that the conversation wouldn't be at this point without the work he's done. Um, but he's a specialist in a particular um, point in the timeline. And one of the things I'm really happy about is that uh, the essays and discussion top or the, the essays range up and down the timeline from the Hellenistic um, up through the early modern and even the actually contemporary. So we're, you know, um, collectively, the essays are, you know, both, how should we say, sketching the timeline and checking in at different points and looking at similarities and differences. Um, I'm, I'm very, very happy with uh, all the writers' contributions. Awesome. That should be great. That sounds amazing, Austin. So excited to get a copy. And it'll be, it'll be wonderful to hold it. Yeah, <laughs> to have it when the editing work is done, right? Yeah, definitely. And speaking of UAC, um, that brings me to the other big announcement is um, I was actually able to secure a large room. Uh, so we're actually going to do a meetup. We're definitely going to do a meet and greet with podcast listeners for the Astrology Podcast at the United Astrology Conference in Chicago in May. And we might actually, because we are able to get a big enough room, we're talking about, Austin and Kelly and I are talking about doing a live recording of a podcast episode uh, sort of in front of the audience and a Q&A discussion uh, to take some questions and just have like a little discussion in addition to the meetup. So the date for this, this is the first time I've gotten together the details. So I wanted to let people know that it's going to take place on Saturday, Saturday, May 26, 2018, uh, starting at 7 p.m. until about 8.30 p.m., uh, at the hotel that UAC is taking place in, uh, in a, a room called the Halstead Foyer on the fourth floor. So uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. We're still in the process of putting together what it will be uh, about and what we're going to do exactly. But either way, it's going to be fun and it'll be nice to both, you know, for people like me and Austin and Kelly to be able to meet podcast listeners, but also since I know this is going to be a lot of people's first conference who who listen to the podcast or are new to the astrological community, I wanted to have a place where other people who listen to the podcast could meet each other and connect and start building connections and friendships as well, because that's part of what these conferences are about. And I wanted to make sure there was there was a place where people can automatically, you know, sort of have something in common if all of you sort of generally listen to the podcast. So uh yeah, so that's the the details surrounding that. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm a little nervous. I've never organized something like that before. Uh, and I don't know how many people are going to come. I'm actually taking out an ad. So there's going to be an insert uh, about this event in everybody's tote bag, which is like everybody that attends the conference. I'm hoping that not everybody attends, but the room can apparently hold at least like 400 people. So 
you know, we'll see what happens. Chris, it's a wonderful achievement for you to be able to host something like this because I think it's really a mark of the success of this podcast, which is absolutely your baby and has grown all through your own efforts. So I'm just really excited for you that you, you're at this stage with your with your journey with it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. And you guys have been a big part of that just in terms of doing these monthly forecast episodes. And I know that's everyone's favorite. And this is the one that everyone makes sure that they tune in for just about every month. So well, it's not my favorite. I, these are the only ones I don't listen to. Okay. Did you listen to, have you listened to, this month was pretty good. The synchronicity episode, I was really happy with how that went with uh, Kieran LeGrice. It was like a landmark episode. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm about halfway in right now. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, and then next month, I'm already in the process of putting things together. Anyways, we should move on to other news and announcements. Kelly, do you have any news or announcements? Two quick ones. Um, this weekend, I'm giving an intro to electional astrology webinar through Astrology University. So you can sign up now online for that. If you can't make it live, you'll still get the video recording. And I will be in Sydney uh, late April, early May, and I'm doing a day of teaching on Friday, May the 4th. Uh, in Sydney. So um, details about exactly what I'll be teaching will be up on my website next week. But for anybody who is in Australia or in Sydney and wants to join, just mark that date. But that's it for me. Awesome. Okay. And Austin, do you have anything going on in the next month? Yeah. Um, my 2018 run of the Fundamentals of Astrology begins um, in April. So um, that's a it's an eight month, eight module um, course and people can join up for the whole thing or if uh, they just need to polish their skills or technical understanding on one particular topic, they can drop in for, you know, you, you might be fine with planets, but maybe you want to jump in on aspects. And so that's exciting. That's, um, I don't know, I think this is like the fourth year in a row. Um, and I'm I'm very happy with the uh, with the the sequencing of the material at this point. So that begins in April, and then I'm also teaching uh, a month long class on the construct the theory and practice uh, behind making uh, astrological talismans. Um, I touched on this in an earlier class, which is an introduction to planetary magic, but. Uh, there are so many details um, that uh, that come into play when you're when you're making talismans. So uh, I, I thought it it deserved its own four week course. All right, that sounds brilliant. great. Thanks. Yeah, that and that be that begins on April eighth. Awesome, cool. And uh, as for me, I'm starting. I'm getting ready for UAC, and that's taking up most of my focus as well as doing the podcast. I am starting to put more effort in and I'm going to start producing more videos again at the astrologyschool.com and I'm starting to blog there again starting with a, a new article on the six best beginner astrology books which I actually did a video on last fall but it was like 30 or 40 minutes long and I've been meaning to write something a little bit more scannable and concise that people can can just glance at and then immediately just get the important information from so you can check that out as well as some of my course offerings like the Hellenistic Astrology course uh, at theastrologyschool.com. All right. Other uh, things, the last news and announcements thing, uh, giveaways. So every month I do a giveaway of a few books or a few things for patrons of the Astrology Podcast that support the, the podcast on the 5 or $10 tier. 
Uh, this month, I've been waiting for it for a few months now, but Liz Green's books actually finally came out. So Liz Green's two new books uh, covering the work of Carl Jung uh, showed up in the mail for me like a week or two ago. And I'm going to give away two copies of volume one, which is titled Jung's Studies in Astrology. So there's the book. It's a pretty landmark, pretty much landmark publication. I'm only a little bit into it, but even just the table of contents is amazing because she's really going into that last missing piece that we couldn't fully get into in the last two episodes that I did on Young, which are basically the question of, you know, what sources was he drawing on and what books was Young himself reading that influenced his take on astrology? So that's kind of what Liz Green deals with for the most part, or that's her main focus in these books. And I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm also trying to see if I can land an interview with her. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull that off, but um, I've already sent out some kind of feelers to see if I can even get a hold of her contact information. If there's any fans of the podcast that happen to like know her personally or can put in a good word, then please go ahead and do so. But otherwise, yeah, I'm giving away two copies. I'll announce the winners of that. Um, through Patreon, through my page on Patreon in a couple of days when I release the final version of this episode. So if you're a patron already, just pay attention there and you'll get the announcement. Uh, The other giveaway I'm doing is uh, three copies of a new astrology e-magazine called Celestial Vibes uh, that's actually published by an astrologer from India named Ashwin Balaji. Uh, so anyways, he sent me a copy of this and I was actually pretty impressed. Uh, let me do a screen share really quickly for people that do are watching the video version. Um, this is sort of an image of the front page. So it's kind of a mixture of Indian astrology and Western astrology in this interesting sort of mix, but it's an, an E magazine or it's a new, new sort of magazine that you can receive in PDF format. The first issue has a tribute to the late Bill Levisey, who was a notable uh, Vedic astrologer who passed away recently. It's also got some interesting articles on like a Vedic take on Albert Einstein's chart. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Lars Panero, has an interesting essay on the topic of the definition of Vedic astrology, uh, and there's some other interesting uh, coverage as well. So the magazine is titled, it's called Celestial Vibes. And you can find out more information about it at the website is theabverdict.com. So I'll put a, a link to that website in the description page for this episode, and you can find out more information there. All right, last last things in terms of the pre-forecast discussion. One, uh, this is actually the 150th episode of the show, so I didn't set it up to be that way, but it just happens that this is one of those landmark episodes. It seems like it was just yesterday that we were celebrating the 100th episode, and now we're halfway to, to episode 200. So thanks, thanks you guys, for joining me today for that, that one. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, anytime, and go Chris. Yeah, so it's really still plugging along, and I'm going to be expanding the podcast and doing some additional things here in the near future. Uh, the other piece of pre-forecast discussion is I noticed um, Time Magazine actually ran an article on Mercury Retrograde recently. It actually happened like a week or two ago. It was published on March 22nd. So I guess that's about a week ago now, the day that Mercury actually stationed retrograde or around the day that Mercury stationed retrograde recently. Did you guys catch this? 
I didn't catch it at the time, but I have seen it since. And it is quite amazing because there seem to be all these profiles lately about astrology in mainstream media that are fairly thoughtful. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to bring it up just because it seemed like another piece of like coverage of astrology in a, in a mainstream media publication. And although in December and January, when I did that episode, I was somewhat skeptical about this idea that that was that media coverage was like reflective of an actual growing trend of interest in astrology among the general public. Like I'm starting to come around and I'm starting to really be more convinced that perhaps this is evidence that astrology is becoming more popular on some level, especially amongst younger people, younger internet savvy people, since that's basically where they're getting most of their information about about astrology. Yeah. Um just to add to that, um uh, a friend of mine who runs a, a podcast um, mentioned in an episode not too long ago. This is the Rune Soup podcast. He was he was talking to people about um, having a cycles uh, view of history and you know looking at long cycles and your position within longer cycles. Um, and although astrology is not the only method um, that he's looking at for timing cycles, he was saying. He was encouraging people. He's like, you know, listen, if you, um, you know, if you checked in with astrology fifteen or twenty years ago and found it wanting, you might want to check in again. Um, I, I think that being inside of it, we maybe haven't noticed um, how much better we've gotten in a sense. And that's not a slight to the people who were um, leading members of the astrological community uh, twenty years ago. It's that we literally, you know, we went through. Uh, we got to read for the first time, um, you know, uh, many of the foundational texts uh, yeah. in our art. And we've had a lot of people doing reconstructive work and translation work and also, you know, sort of, oh, how should we say, um, sitting with older techniques and newer understandings or, you know, and more contemporary understandings and trying to reconcile those. And, um, you know, I, I think that as a whole, um, we're putting out a lot of really good stuff. I feel like the the technical bar for the uh, you know the astrology column is much higher than it was even ten years ago. Um, and so I, I would um, congratulate us for doing a better job collectively, or not doing a better job because it's not it's not about people um, twenty years ago doing a bad job. It's about us having access to more material and you know the internet and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really good point, Austin, because we've all benefited from the work that has become available uh, in the last 20 to 25 years, which just didn't exist before. And so I think impossible. And so collectively, even the people that were working with astrology 20 or 25 years ago, they're part of this movement too. So, you know, we've all benefited. Well, and I yeah, think it, a large part of this, of the actual popularization of astrology is largely due to the internet and due to the ability of the internet, which I've I've a little bit underestimated at this point, and of social media and social networking sites to encourage the proliferation of astrological construct concepts that were not as mainstream even 10 or 20 years ago, like Mercury retrograde or the Saturn return. And those are really you know, modern astrology concepts for the most part, but they're actually getting out there and they're penetrating into the sort of public consciousness a lot more than I think they were even 10 years ago. And that's 
that's the thing that's giving me pause and realizing that something is going on here. And in some level, astrology or, or higher levels of astrology are seeping into the public. And in some ways, that might not be good. I mean, some astrologers might object and say the Mercury retrograde thing is being overblown and, and it's taking some small piece of astrology and you know almost using it inappropriately or overextending it. But I'm sort of fine with that on some level as long as some of those concepts are getting out there and then that discussion can take place. Yeah, well, and that that's true. Whenever you have only a few little pieces of knowledge, you're going to tend to overinflate those. But if we're moving from just sun signs to sun signs and Mercury retrograde and Saturn return, as far as the, the popular arsenal of concepts, that is three times more nuanced than just sun signs. Yep. Yeah, and that's the big thing I've noticed over the years, just in my own personal career with astrology, I started teaching astrology nearly 15 years ago and like in the early days of the internet. And you you would really have to do a lot of basic concept stuff with students. But what I'm finding now is that because of the internet and because of the proliferation of good quality basic astrology info that's out in the world, the conversations that are being had amongst the astrological community in any format, the bar has been raised because more people have got that foundational information. So it definitely feels like, you know, with more of the basic stuff available, when we do get together or connect, we can instantly kind of start at a more substantial place, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that's funny, I didn't realize this more of a phenomenon until recently, is that the idea of like, being on a cusp has somehow become a popular concept that people are aware of to the extent that I've seen some astrologers getting really annoyed by this concept and like pushing back and saying, there's no such thing as a cusp or you're either one or the other. Because I think they're objecting to the, there might be some general idea that is becoming common in the public that you can be both or or that being born close to the cusp in terms of your sun sign might explain why you have trouble identifying with one or the other that it might be both or something like that when you know an advanced astrological take might just be something like maybe you have planets in both signs because you have it so close to the cusp or something like that yeah i i think the i mean the cusp thing has been around for a while i think that that was um uh just a consequence of people only doing sun signs and the fact that because our calendar year is slightly off from the astronomical year, that you know sometimes um, February eighteenth is Pis- some years February eighteenth is Pisces, and some years February eighteenth is Aquarius. And so if people didn't look at a chart, they're just like, oh, I'm February eighteenth. I guess that's the cusp. You know, if you don't have reference to the chart, and so they're like, well, I don't know. You know, I guess I'm both. Right. And I, people people like to you know people like being special. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point as well. Um, but it's just interesting that that concept in and of itself that people might be born on a cusp is almost becoming more popular than it was previously, which is another surprising thing that I wasn't paying attention to. Because I think part of my problem is like I'm not paying attention to what's happening on like street level sun sign astrology or like popularized astrology blogs. I'm paying attention to other stuff, and that might be affecting my perception of whether astrology is becoming more or less popular or you know, when I see astrology books not really being featured on like bookstore shelves anymore, that makes me think it's like declining. But then I'm not paying attention to like, you know, uh, the some astrologer on like Twitter or like Instagram having like a million followers or something like that. Or what I discovered, I met 
I don't know if I should say who this person is, but I met an astrologer at the conference this past weekend who has a year-long wait list to get in to have a consult with them. Wow. So, And they work primarily with people under the age of 40, so people in their 20s and 30s. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Definitely. All right. Well, we will revisit this topic again in the future, uh, but I think that's that's good for now. So I think that's all the pre-show stuff, pre-forecast. We have, de- we have delayed getting to April as long as possible. <laughs> we've, we've put it off. We have good reason because it starts off a little rough at the top of the month, but let's why don't we jump into it at this point? So um, let's start talking about the astrological forecast for April of 2018. So for the timestamp for the future, we're about 33 minutes in. Um, what is, I, I mean, April basically starts off with a bang right away on April 1st, right? A bang? Yes. Um, I, that's, I mean, not the, that's not the noise. I'm like, I want Austin's analogies. Can I say one thing? Because then Austin's going to give us his beautiful images. There's yeah. two big Mars aspects for this month. And the first one is at the start of the month. Austin, go. Okay. Um, so, yeah, April begins with the um, the perfect conjunction of Mars and Saturn in Capricorn. And um, as we discussed last month, Mars and Saturn are both very powerful in Capricorn. Um, and together they generate uh, very challenging circumstances, which is not necessarily to say horrible, although horrible is included. It can simply be, you know, having to get three times as much done during a given week than you plan to. Um, after that week is over, you will have accomplished that and that will be great. However, so that Mars-Saturn, you know, uh, Kelly, this might have been your analogy. Um, uh, Mars and Saturn are collectively the, or are together the, the brakes and the gas, Mars being the gas, Saturn being the brakes. And when they're joined, um, there's uh, often a sense of hitting both at the same time um, and stressing out your vehicle intensely without going very fast. <laughs> Um, one of the things I've observed about the Mars-Saturn conjunction as it's been applying is that people seem to be receiving massive workloads out of nowhere um, or things get delayed. And so now you need – now you have 80 hours of stuff to do this week. Um, and that's complicated um, by both the sun and Mercury being in Aries, which is a Mars-ruled sign. Um, and Mercury, of course, is retrograde. And so, um, you know, we have Sun and Mercury in a Mars-ruled sign with Mars making this really intense conjunction to Saturn. So this is not the easiest set of circumstances. Um, it's also worth noting that the month begins right after a full, the full moon in Libra at the end of March, which um, additionally highlights uh, these configurations. Um, I've got, I can go on, but Kelly, do you have any? uh, Yeah, I mean, I I know we've spoken about this, Austin. And I think one of the things that stuck with me was when you and I were talking about the difference between the Mars-Jupiter together in Scorpio, which was December 2017, January 2018, and Mm -hmm. being busy, but feeling maybe really optimistic or hitting targets and that busyness leading to those new heights of Jupiter contrasted to now, which is Mars and Saturn together and that sense of busyness or being under the pump, but it's more of a slog. And 
I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was literally walking down a flight of stairs when this idea occurred to me that thank goodness that we know about this because if I was thinking, you know, okay, it's a long weekend, it's, you know, Easter in the in the Christian sort of mainstream world, you know, let's take four days off and let's go and eat some chocolate, huh. I'd be really disappointed because, I mean, I'm going to be working through the weekend because I've got a bunch of things going on and I know I'm not the only person, but knowing that this aspect is happening at the start of April, basically I had just planned 10 days plus and minus April 2nd when Mars is exactly conjunct Saturn is just have at it. And I do have a massive mountain of work to kind of plow through. But I also think, as you're saying, Austin, it's possible to do that. It's possible to kind of, you know, in that kind of steady, consistent progress place, it is possible to get through a lot now, but it won't happen because you realize you've already done half of it, you're actually going to have to put, we call it bum glue in writer world, where anything that will make you sit in the chair and do the work. Um, for me, it's usually 80% dark chocolate and a hot cup of tea just to stay in the chair and keep plowing through. So yeah, this Mars Saturn, there's friction there, but there is the potential for productivity. Oh yeah. I will have accomplished a great deal in two weeks. Yeah. Um, however, I have to get there. So my uh, just uh, I like the way that you contrasted the Mars Jupiter with the Mars Saturn. So my metaphor and experience of the Mars Jupiter was um, being a goddamn freight train. Um, and a freight train moves a lot of material, but it does so on a track. Whereas what I feel like with this Mars Saturn in Capricorn is being a bulldozer. Oh, yeah, um, which is much slower, which is, instead of having a track cleared for it, a bulldozer actually has to plow, as you as you put it. It has to displace heavy material in yeah. order to move forward. Yeah, and I haven't read all of your work on Facebook, Austin, because I've had to be working, but I've seen the beautiful images come through. And do you have a sword in the stone image that you've been using or something along those lines? Um. My uh, my last column, which dealt with um, the equinox up until tomorrow, um, it's actually the image of an axe splitting wood. Okay. Um, and the sort of dominant metaphor uh, was hacking your way through the wilderness. You know, the axe as at the you know the axe is a weapon, but the axe is also a tool. Yeah. You, know, you need to be able to cut through the heavy brush, and you know. Um, and clear and carve a path, right? It's the difference between, you know, that's different than finding a path or just getting on track, like with a locomotive. This is much yeah. more bulldozing, hacking through the brush, hacking through heavy brush and, you know, and maybe getting lost along the way. That's part of the, the Mercury, <laughs> the Mercury, the Mercury part of that. retrograde. That's you know, you beautiful. don't want to, yeah, you don't want to, it, it's hard to carve a path. So you don't want to like chop in the wrong direction. Because that's going to cost you a lot of work. It's going to so cost you, know, you energy. Yeah. yeah, it's about keeping up that pace. And um, even though this, the time period that was the subject of that column is coming, it will be over by the time that this comes out. Uh, the next 10 days after that are not very dissimilar. It's The same themes apply. The Well, and it t that sounds like a very Australian thing, which we call bush bashing, where mm. when you're, I mean, maybe you guys understand that you're out in the bush or the woods and you're not on the path, you're just kind of very headstrong Mars, you know, um, youthful kind of energy, I guess, just pushing your way through. 
And one thing we've said in our pre-show chat was that even though this Mars-Saturn aspect peaks around the 2nd of April, uh, it's really in play right up until about the 8th of April because we are going to have the moon come through and aspect both Mars and Saturn on the 7th and 8th of April. So that's where we're sort of saying it's not just over on the day. Like, you know, we're not going to wake up on the 3rd of April and be like, oh, ding, ding, it's done. We're going to have that fade out energy. And, and in some ways it is going to, going to hang around for about a week or so. Right. And even uh, Mercury, which is retrograde still, will like retrograde back into ru- and run into them over those few days. So it, of course, yeah, it, that, it hits on the Mars and on like fifth. April 3rd or 4th, and then uh, Mercury retrogrades back into Saturn around the same time, around the 5th. Yeah, that, I'd forgotten about that component, yes. Yeah, this is, um, I would say, the the first 10 days of April, the first third of April, let's say, um, are, um, should we say, the peak of dynamics that will actually um, still be in place through the entire month and through the first portion of May. Because even though the intensity has decreased, simply having Mars and Saturn both in Capricorn is going to, you know, generates that that bulldozer feel. Um, it's just that this the first portion of April is the most um, exaggerated version of those dynamics. Right. And one of the things I like in order to understand like a Mars-Saturn conjunction is the notion of, um, you know, in, in ancient times, like with Ptolemy and stuff, they would conceptualize Mars as being excessively fiery and Saturn as being excessively cold. And that was like the metaphor that was used in order to understand the the function and the property of them. But when Ptolemy talks about each planet, he says the issue is not that they're hot or cold, but the issue is that they tend to be excessively so, or or they tend towards extremes. Extremism. And so so when you're looking at a conjunction of Mars and Saturn, some of the issues that come out of that are, you know, what are the issues that arise from having extreme – versions of like hot and cold coming together and fusing together and what happens when those clash you can also have some some positive manifestations and you basically look at the same metaphor in order to get the positive ones but whenever i think about this i always think about this quote from uh iamblichus who's a 4th century neoplatonic philosopher when he's talking about the malefic nature of mars and saturn or or how they were traditionally categorized as malefics he tried to explain it like this he says the the emanation deriving from Saturn tends to pull things together. So he says they tend to pull things together or to make them cohere, while the emanation deriving from Mars tends to provoke motion in things. Um, however, at the level of material things, the passive generative receptacle receives one of these, Saturn, as rigidity and coldness, and the other as a degree of inflammation exceeding moderation. So I really liked that notion of like Saturn pulling things together and Mars almost like driving things apart or provoking them into motion. And that being almost like the underlying concept or the underlying archetype in some sense that some of these delineations are being derived from, from Mars and Saturn. Yeah, I think that's very nice. And I agree with that. I would also add that, um, expand on one of the points you you made just before this, which is that the problem or what defines a, a malefic traditionally is that it um, – it, uh, should we say it um, provokes states which are imbalanced. Mm. You know, Jupiter is considered to be hot and moist, 
but it's um, but gently so. And the same, you know, with Venus being cool and moist, there it's a gentle nudge in that direction, as opposed to um, an extreme situation. I would also add that um, while sometimes you get this sense, uh, or you get the this quality of Mars and Saturn uh, firing at the same time when they're conjunct, and to a certain degree, heat and cold can cancel each other out. But you also have them alternating quickly, and it's very destructive to alternate between extreme cold and extreme hot, right? So, you know, for example, if you froze a piece of glass and then poured hot water yeah. into it, it would probably shatter. Right. Yes. So, moving you know, too the, quickly from like one state to the other—that's mm -hmm. that, a good—that's a good metaphor. Then the idea of of moving too quickly from one state, one extreme state to another. And the sort of like brittleness or or sense of being fragile that is introduced in the process of that being in that transitional state. Yeah, or uh, it also occurs to me, um, you know, if you um, if you start working out super hard without warming up or stretching at all, um, your rigidity and brittleness may result in a pulled muscle or you know a snap uh, something. or a break. Yeah, snap, a break, yeah, a tendon, you know, whatever. Um, and so, you know, all of this, I think, points us to a very simple uh, course of action, which is to pay extra attention to balance, which isn't to say that you should be totally balanced during this time. My workload, and I know yours, Kelly, are such that um, like a perfect, sustainable Libran pace is simply not possible. But we can clip the more extreme edges out of an unbalanced uh, time period. That makes sense. Um, just you know, uh, uh, some some work towards balance rather than you know just going with the the full madness. <laughs> yes, you guys made some beautiful points. I just wanted to throw a couple of comments in. Um, I loved that quote that you read, Chris. So I feel like you might have to include the reference in the show notes because yeah, well, um, you can find it in like oh page, shit, like, it's in your book. <laughs> yeah, it's like page I've number, lost, please. Lost that is a good already. one. Yeah, I lost the page number already, but oh, it'll you can be find if we look in, up him in the reference at the back. Yeah, look up Iamblichus in my book, which is Hellenistic actually I A M for people who are I am Blichus. Oh, I isn't it I A M? It no. is IAM, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, um, anyways, it's at in Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, available in fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> and oh on Amazon.com. Chris right. did not pay me to say that. I just thought you had one of his books there that you just read that out of. Um, the provoking into motion. I wanted to just make a mention of how the general theme of Mars in Capricorn while Saturn is there is a provocative time. You know, we're all still understanding the larger theme of what Saturn and Capricorn is about. And I think this Mars-Saturn conjunction is sort of that turning point, pivotal energy about this is what you can do with this Saturn and Capricorn energy if you want to apply it or if we want to warm it up a little bit. Because, of course, Saturn is very cold and so is Capricorn. And the final sort of little piece to add in is the we talked about the heat and the cold, and I've actually done that where I baked something in a glass dish and before it had cooled down properly, I ran cold water in it and it shattered. So it's absolutely not good to go from extremes of heat and cold. And even if you get hypothermia, you have to warm up slowly. You, you know, that if you put hot water on hypothermia, it makes it worse. 
So there's definitely well, that. Yeah, or another analogy is like driving really fast and then you know, the suddenly hitting the brakes suddenly or running into a wall, like going from a very quick speed to zero can sometimes be harmful. Um, totally. I mean, you get whiplash. Um, and then mm. the other quality that we haven't touched on is the extreme dryness that Mars and Saturn and Capricorn. So the, the other piece to the qualities there, these are all dry signs and dry is about separation. It's also, it's what I describe as like healthy distance or healthy detachment. So in situations where people have had maybe a little too much Neptune or a little too much water, this drying out energy can help create some clarity. I'm not going to promise it's going to be happy clarity, but it will be this idea of getting clear about things and then being able to order things so that one thing tucks in nicely after the other. Um, so there's a little bit of that dry energy, I think, here that we can work with productively, potentially. Definitely. And this brings up kind of a meta issue from earlier this month about what we're doing here, which is with Kiran LeGrice, we were trying to talk about, and with Saffron Rossi in January, we we're trying to talk about the nature of the archetype and astrology as dealing with archetypes. And we we're kind of to describe what that meant, because that's actually really integral to what we're doing on every single one of these forecast episodes, where I feel like some of the times, like with this discussion, what we're doing is we're trying to get to what are the underlying archetypal principles that are being represented by these planetary alignments. Because if you can figure out what the underlying archetype is, then you can figure out some of the different ways in which that it's it's going to manifest in the world in different people's lives. But that that really has to be your first access point is attempting to understand the archetype. Because if you focus too much on the like particular manifestations, then you're going to come up with something that might be super relevant to like one person, but isn't to thousands of others. Um, so, but uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know if the three of us have ever really talked about this concept of like archetypes or if you view it in the same way. Like I had somebody a few months ago that like objected to the concept. He said, I'm not an archetypal astrologer. I don't believe in that. And that was kind of a weird statement for me that when I read that, because I, I'm not sure if that's true for any astrologer, really, on some level, astrologers, whether they realize it or not, or whether they would articulate it in that way, it seems like most astrologers are dealing with astrology in what might be classified as an archetypal way. How do you guys actually conceptualize what we're doing here, though? I I mean, I agree with what you're saying almost completely, because I do think the way to understand how these astrological influences might manifest is to not just like okay, Mars, Saturn could be these three things. It's what is the underlying essence or symbolism here? What is it speaking to? What kind of chain of sympathies is it connected to? Because anything that is like that is going to be what's triggered through this. And I think the idea of doing astrological work, it's almost like going back to the first principles or the core essence of stuff, which actually is the realm of archetypes. Like I think the word archi is, isn't it like Greek for first or is something to do with the initial thrust or idea of something? And yeah, when like first or primary or beginning. Exactly. So when, when we're trying to really understand the essence or the inside gunky stuff of a planetary aspect, we're trying to understand the core of it because everything that emanates from it is going to be like it or connected to it in some way. That's that's how I think I'd respond. But what about you, Austin? Hmm. I don't think that I can offer a 
uh, brief summary of my thinking on this. Um, I, I think it is worth noting that we're using the term archetype very differently from um, the way that, for example, a Jungian therapist would use it. Um, right. You know, there the the i the idea of an archetype as we're using it is uh, closer to a Platonic form and mm. is inherently metaphysical. Um, I mean, how would you define it? Because that was one of the things Saffron and I ran into issues. We were tr we spent like half an hour trying to figure out how to define archetype in a way that made sense to a novice viewer. And I realized like what a crucial concept that is that most astrologers are taking for granted. And that also probably says something about the like underlying metaphysical or philosophical assumptions that astrologers are making, but not always really articulating. I mean, we're, we're basically postulating that there's like core transcendent concepts that exist out there that all of the subsets or manifestations derive from but that those are somehow the the transcendent overarching concept the idea it can sometimes be represented by sort of planetary alignments or planetary planets themselves it will the you know one presupposition of this is that reality is formatted according to archetypes right um that that's how everything works um and so we have to it, it has bigger implications than Oh, you know, the image of the old man and the way that it comes into people's dreams in a therapeutic session, right? That is connected to Saturn, but Saturn, you know, Saturn is not an archetype, but its influence, uh, in its influence, we see archetypal patterns very clearly. But as, as Kelly was pointing out, um, uh, uh, the archetype as a shape or form, a sort of, um, has to pre-exist and be at a more primordial level than the planets themselves. The planets themselves are an expression of an archetype, but the archetype has to pre-exist them. Right. It's yeah, this is complicated. It's this is a great topic. It's just uh <laughs> we're getting into the magic <laughs> realm now with with the the way things kind of all connect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is a broader discussion. <laughs> we, could, we could go on a massive tangent here. All I right. Just all right. Well, sorry for <laughs> I just right, there was something I, I, that came up. No, I let me let me see if I can do a transition here. Okay. Um, so, getting to the heart of complicated, thorny questions is also very much the topic of Beautiful. Mercury's inferior conjunction with the Sun, uh, which also occurs at the beginning of April, and which we are only a few days out from right now. Um, that is the the Kazemi point, which is is that April April first Eastern. Uh, you you guys know me. So it's what, 10, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern, so it will be very early in the morning on the 2nd in Australia and just a few hours earlier Pacific, um, 11 degrees Aries. Right. And so um, Mercury's conjunction with the sun it marks the um, dead center of the retrograde. And can, um, metaphorically, it also represents the completion of Mercury's purification in the fires of the sun. Um, and from that point, Mercury will begin moving away from the sun. Um, the distance between them will grow greater rather than as it's been where, it, where it's less and less every day. Um, and so Mercury, the, that inferior conjunction, the Kazemi point, um, is often brings a note of clarity about the matters which have been complicated or confused. 
which is very helpful. And of course, like like Kelly was saying about clarity, you don't always get to see what you want in clarity, but you do get to see things as they are and orient to them um, and therefore be more effective <laughs> because you're not orienting uh, to an illusion. Yeah. And that's so crazy that that happens so close to the Mercury-Saturn conjunction. I guess that's why I said it gets off to the month starts off with a blast of some sort because it's like we get the full moon in Libra, then we get the Mercury-Sun conjunction, the Kazemi, uh, on April 1st. And then shortly after that, we have Mars-Saturn conjunction going exact at eight degrees and like 57 minutes of Capricorn. Yeah. And so um, one other note is that as um, April begins, Venus has just moved in to Taurus. Yay. And Venus will be in Taurus for the majority of the month. And although Mars and Saturn are, you know, drying and challenging and frustrating and sometimes enraging, um, Venus advocate, Venus being in Taurus, the sign that Venus rules, um, is is a strong force for coherence and provides a little little moisture, um, you know, and moisture um moisture is what allows things to cohere right if you know if your yeah. body dried out it would fall apart yeah um and so there's that there's there's a little bit of a counterpoint um venus doesn't get to define the tone of the month but venus does help um venus is there to uh, keep the uh, how should we say to uh put a uh, you know venus is on the other side of the seesaw which is helpful she is. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Austin, because of course, Venus in Taurus is my favorite thing about April. Um, and it's interesting that timing wise, that weekend of April 7th and 8th, which is when the moon moves through the Mars Saturn conjunction, and then that energy does start to just be less intense. That's actually when Venus starts to aspect Saturn. Um, that also happens on April 7th. Venus will try and Saturn. And then the following week, Venus will try and Mars. So there, it, I don't know if softening is quite the right word, but there is sort of some maybe balancing is a better word when we're talking about these qualities coming in. So that first full weekend in April, we will see a bit of a shift um, as Venus kind of, well, she aspects both the planets and then she moves away from them. So she just kind of settles into the fullness of of being in Taurus. Yeah. Um, to use the hard work, injury, labor metaphor they've been doing for Mars and Saturn, um, it's not that Venus declares a period of leisure and grace. It's that Venus applies um, an unguent to a bruise, right? <laughs> That's right. sort of like, yeah, you know, yeah, you've been, um, you know, you're you're in the middle of a 10-round Muay Thai fight and you've taken a lot of elbows to the face, but at least here's a little here's a little healing unguent, right? Here's a little <laughs> little something. Here's some here's some water between rounds. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah. really important distinction to make because that's core to a lot of traditional like mitigation factors, which is the question of when you get like a difficult aspect in the chart, but then there's a positive aspect, does that mean the positive aspect is going to cancel out part mm -mm. of the negative one, or does it mean it's simply going to help to ease some of almost like what you were describing, almost like the trauma or or whatever it is that the negative aspect indicates? And oftentimes it seems like that's the direction that it goes, that it's you get both. You get both the diff really difficult thing happens, but then 
sometimes there's a positive thing that comes in afterwards to help smooth things out. Yeah, that, and I think it's really it's a point of nuance and interpretation to be able to figure out whether whether a time period is going to be primarily tough with a few, you know, with with some help at some great at the right time, or whether it's going to be primarily easy, but there will be a couple pains in the ass. You know, which um, you know, which tone is leading, and then which is supplementing. Right, definitely. So. It looks like Venus catches up to and trines Saturn about April 7th, and that's kind of interesting because that's about the same time that the moon, of course, is conjoining Saturn and Mars. And then by, what, a few days later, it looks like about uh, the 10th or 11th, Venus trines Mars. Yeah, the 11th. The 11th at about, uh, what, 13 degrees, 14 degrees of Taurus and Capricorn. So... um, yeah. Anything else about that? I mean, one of the things that's interesting about the Mar- this Mars-Saturn conjunction compared to one of the last ones we had a few years ago was the last that last one took place in Scorpio, which was traditionally a Mars-ruled sign, whereas this one's taking place in Capricorn, which is traditionally a Saturn-ruled sign. So there's a little bit of an inter- interesting contrast there in terms of the experience of Mars and Saturn coming together in the the domain of Mars versus Mars and Saturn coming together in the domain of Capricorn or mm-hmm. of Saturn. Um, yes. Have you guys been seeing that? I mean, I've been seeing it with some, you know, people like yourselves or or other people that have important positions there in Capricorn and like things like like really having to put in a lot of hard work and really having to push their own boundaries sometimes in terms of their energy or their ability to focus and concentrate to levels that they previously, you know, hadn't even gone to in order to accomplish something and most of them are 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 pulling it off. I mean, there's also other sort of more problematic situations where somebody might push it too far and and go past that that breaking point or that boundary that they perhaps shouldn't cross, but that's not always the typical manifestation. Are you guys I guess you're both in the camp of you're both just like working really hard at this point? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, it, okay. it literally it um, it doesn't always work this way, but things kicked off on Mercury's retrograde, the day of Mercury's station, and it's been um, a, a blur since then. <laughs> it's just you know, wake up, work all day, go to sleep, wake up, work all day. You know, I've I I had this wonderfully balanced template for my days and weeks that I've had to temporarily cast aside because that's just not going to get it done during this period of time. Sure. Sure. All right. I agree. So Uh, uh, another thing that comes up pretty early, I'm I'm trying to look at some of our other aspects for early in the month. Um, One of them that happens in the first couple of weeks is Jupiter sextile Pluto, which I think is the second one, right? Yeah, the 14th. So that that weekend, uh, it's the second uh, sextile between Jupiter and Scorpio. The first one was in January, and I think the final one is September. That's really the biggest kind of outer planetary type aspect pattern we have for 2018. And I'm interested as to, because it's the second activation, it's a bit of a check-in for a process of growth or transformation that people might have started back in January. 
And if I'm not mistaken, Austin, when we talked about this previously, we did actually agree that the word transformation was relevant for this particular <laughs> aspect. We, I think you actually said that word is often overused in astrology, but relevant for this aspect. Yeah. Um, and, and as I said back then, I don't think it's a big deal. I see this as a little additional aid in whatever processes of transformation are already in play. Um, I, Got you know, it. I, I, I see th- th- it's a, it's a little, it's a little, I would say a shot in the arm, but it's quality is not, um, fiery or activating like that. It's a little extra endurance, um, a little extra depth, but it, it's a sextile. I, I, it's just not that big a deal. I, I mean, I kind of like it or normally it wouldn't be that, that, you know, wouldn't care about it that much. But in this instance, I kind of like that it's still that close, especially later in the month as Mars creeps closer and closer to that conjunction with Pluto at about 21 degrees of Capricorn, which it completes eventually around April 25th or April 26th. That's one of the, you know, maybe highlights of the month that Jupiter is about at 19 degrees or so of Scorpio at that point. So still forming a relatively close sextile to that Mars-Pluto conjunction, which if anybody's getting hit by that one particularly hard, at least there'll be some, you know, again, maybe offsetting factor or influence that might be leveling things out a bit more or adding some counterbalance that it might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one uh, background factor with all the stuff, all this Mars Saturn stuff that we've been talking about, is that Jupiter is in a Mars ruled sign. And yeah. so, um, Therefore, Jupiter can be said to sort of locate growth or opportunities for growth um, in the sphere of Mars, Um, and so you know it 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 makes some of the some of the difficult Mars stuff that we've been talking about, and some of the difficult Mars stuff which um, is waiting for us later in the year, more of a a growth opportunity. uh, I feel like growth is also overused, but uh, I was like, I can't word. believe these words. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this month is about growth and transformation. Right. <laughs> Kill me. Those words are overused, but there is something relevant, I think. Because I, I think the point you're making, Chris, Jupiter is in Scorpio and it's going to be aspected by its ruling planet. Yeah, it's going to be aspected by its ruling planet. Jupiter is earlier in zodiacal order, so it's actually in a superior position. And especially in day charts where Mars is oftentimes the more difficult planet based on the concept of sect, Jupiter, when it's in a superior position and when it's able to closely aspect Mars, can play a major mitigating factor. And I see this really commonly in natal charts. Like I actually did a reading recently for an old client who was one of my first clients from like more than a decade ago. And it had been a few years since I talked to him and I forgot how much he had like Mars in a day chart as one of his most difficult planets, but he had both Venus and Jupiter overcoming it. And I forgot how much that that really offset and mitigated the extent to which he experienced that as a difficult planet in his life. He still did. And that was still clearly the part of his life where there were some some instances where some of the most challenging things happened to him but in terms of the whole like range of possible manifestations that i've seen in other clients that didn't have mitigating factors it was really clear that he was really on the like easier end of the spectrum in terms of dealing with mars as the most difficult planet in that sphere of his life 
Yeah, and I I guess too, I was just checking my trusty ephemeris, which I have been reunited with after leaving at home when I went to the conference last weekend. Uh, this is the last Mars-Jupiter aspect with Jupiter and Scorpio by degree. So by the time Mars gets far enough into Aquarius later in the year, Jupiter will actually be in Sag. So I'm just not sure whether that does pull out a little bit of that extra kind of growth or pushing forward on the growth thing about the Mars-Jupiter piece. But it's definitely an interesting um, window because, of course, it is the Mars-Pluto conjunction that's happening, which is it's the second of the big Mars conjunctions this April. So it's kind of like April is bookended by Mars-Saturn conjunction at the start of the month and Mars-Pluto at the end of the month. Right. So just to get um, a little bit Jungian and also to specify what kind of growth Jupiter Mars is about. Oh yeah, good good point. It's you know, it's not growth in any direction. Um from a Jungian point of view, it's very much um shadow integration. You know, it's um becoming one with your monster and um learning to draw on that strength and direct it towards, you know, the work that needs to be done. If we're talking about transformation, it's transformation um, in the direction of being capable of dealing with more challenging and ferocious circumstances, right? It's not, um, you know, it, 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 there are a variety of uh, directions of growth that this is specifically not, right? This is, um, this is becoming better at Mars and, you know, being capable of dealing with the difficult situations which Mars rules over which is an important, you know, which is, it's one of the seven spheres of life, right? Um, but it is not those other six. <laughs> yes. And I think um, you make a great point, Austin, because the gro- the nature of growth or the territory of growth of Jupiter and Scorpio, I've kind of conceptualized this as more of an internal, like it's the emotion, it's one's emotional landscape. It's exploring the depths or the demons within and, taking the Mars sword to that, if you like. It's not sort of that external abundance growth that people might think of with the word growth and Jupiter kind of going together. Um, And when you say Mars, I mean, that always makes me think of, you know, Mars realms or Mars topics. It's about making those tough decisions or finding the strength you need to be courageous, even when it's difficult, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And so that seems like one of the major signatures this month is also just Mars in Capricorn and Mars being exalted there. But we're almost getting, um, I don't want to say a more, maybe it is a more pure manifestation of Mars in the sign of its exaltation because Saturn is there. uh, And to some extent, because Pluto is there and that's where Mars is going to conjoin it as well. And then the other weird thing that happens this month is because the sun has already moved into Taurus or will move into Taurus in April. And and so it'll start moving into a range of being in a trine with Saturn and Pluto. That's around the time when the sun is, is trying the outer planets when they start stationing uh, retrograde or direct. So we actually get a station of Saturn. Saturn stations mm-hmm. retrograde in Capricorn on April 17th. And then Pluto stations retrograde in Capricorn on April 22nd. So this is all, you know, not too far from those times when Mars is conjoining those planets and they're also stationing, which is potentially like an intensification of some of their significations in that sign. 
So um, that actually kind of brings up, and we're, we should move on to like the middle of the month at this point, where we get our first lunation, which takes place, I believe, on April 15th, which is a new moon in Aries. Yeah, because that's the other theme about April is both the lunations are in Mars signs. Right. Yeah, we have the Aries new moon, obviously, which we'll just talk about now at 26 Aries. And then at the end of the month, we have the Scorpio full moon, which I think is one of Austin's debauchery full moons. Yes, especially with Jupiter there. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very resounding yes, Austin. I love it. Uh, yes, but this is a new moon conjunct Uranus in Aries, so that's totally different. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to say about this is that this, you know, the new moons being the end and beginning of lunar cycles are always dividers or, you know, uh, points where some things stop and new things begin. And it's especially so this month because the new moon in Aries also coincides with Mercury's uh, direct station in Aries very tightly. And so that's different. Things are literally, literally moving in a different direction. Um, And as far as, how should we say, novelty or new new courses of events beginning, the fact that the new moon is tightly conjunct Uranus certainly suggests that it will not be more of the same. Yes. So it is a bit of a shift, isn't it? I mean, Uranus is very different from what the first couple of weeks feel like. Yeah. And and so, you know, we have that Mars-Saturn co-presence in the background. Um, but, you know, again, Mercury is going to be direct. Um, and, you know, again, we have a new moon and, uh, excuse me, uh, new moon right on Uranus. And we're also moving more into the Mars-Pluto-Jupiter thing that we were talking about earlier and less on the like pure Mars-Saturn. You know, during the first week of the month and right now, just a few days prior to the beginning of the month, uh, it's very Mars-Saturn in tone. It's work, 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 um, you know, grind. Whereas, you know, that, that Mars-Pluto has, um, you know, has a different quality. Pluto... Pluto speaks to a different uh, a different uh, layer of the psyche and of reality than Saturn. Right. So um, so April 15th, that's really notable that we basically have a lunation. We have a new moon in Aries and Mercury stations direct and its retrograde period is over at that point. Um, a couple of days later, we have Saturn stationing uh, retrograde yeah. at nine, nine degrees of Capricorn on April 17th. And this actually brings me to a time frame for, uh, or is a good time to mention our electional oh, yeah. chart, our auspicious electional chart for this month, which takes place uh, in this two-day time frame. There's a couple of nice elections. And Austin, you actually first brought this to my attention. Apparently, Lisa, when she was researching the elections, did uh, come across this span of days as well when the moon moves into Taurus and noticed some some nice electional charts. But this is actually something where you were looking for an election for starting something and, and narrowed in on this this range of dates, right? Um, somebody on a forum actually pointed it out to me like two months ago or just pointed it out like two months ago. And I was like, ooh, look at that. Because we, we have our five of the seven visible planets in either their exaltation or rulership. Yeah. That's very rare, very good. Right. So we've got uh, Venus is in its own. So by April 16th, basically it's the range is basically April 16th and April 17th. Uh, we have Venus in its own sign in Taurus. 
uh, we have uh, the moon moves into Taurus, which is the sign of its exaltation. We have the sun exalted in Aries. We have Mars exalted in Capricorn, and we have Saturn in its own sign in Capricorn as well. So that is pretty notable, seeing that many planets either in their own in their own sign or in their own exaltation. Yeah, and so you basically actually, the, the period with the moon in Taurus is the peak of that. Right, exactly, because then you get the moon not only in Taurus so that it just like fills out having another planet in the sign of its domicile or exaltation, but when the moon actually gets into Taurus, it's actually in pretty good condition in terms of its aspects with other planets. So as soon as it moves into Taurus, it starts uh, applying to eventually conjoin Venus in Taurus, which it does I think on the 17th, conjoining it around 20 or 21 Taurus. And it gets it starts applying to an opposition with Jupiter, which is at 21 degrees of Scorpio, while at the same time, uh, A, not having any hard aspects with uh, malefic planets. So it's actually forming trines with all of those Capricorn planets, Mars, Saturn, and Pluto, which is fine. And then it's also um, interestingly, at some point while it's in Taurus, this is just after the new moon. So it starts it's going to make a helical rise and it's going to come out from under the beams of the sun on the other end of the the conjunction with the sun so that it's a a waxing moon that's going to be increasing in light and building up yeah so, there's a lot to like lot lot to like in terms of oh yeah and it's right after mercury is stationed direct so it's like a mercury retrograde free chart so in terms of elections there's a few different options um Lisa and I ended up, I think Austin, you're going to go with a chart for April 17th. Um, I ended up, Lisa and I ended up going with one for April 16th, just because if you do April 16th, you can do a Taurus rising chart. So, th- so, so our recommended election this month takes place on April 16th, 2018. Um, set the time for approximately, let's say about 7.30 in the morning, 7.30 a.m., so it's not too far after sunrise, but it'll have Taurus rising with Venus conjunct the ascendant at 20 degrees of a Taurus, moving into an opposition with Jupiter at 21 degrees of Scorpio. Uh, the moon is just barely in Taurus at this point, and it's applying to trines with Saturn, Mars, and Pluto, and then eventually to a conjunction with Venus and an opposition with Jupiter. So both the ruler of the ascendant, which is Venus, as well as the moon are in pretty good condition, both by zodiacal strength as well as aspect and house placement. Um, so that's our, our recommended election for this month, I think. Uh, and Austin, you were looking at, do you want to share your your secrets in terms of the one that you found on the 17th? Um, I don't know if I have any secrets, and I might change my mind, but I'm, I'm looking at a, a sunrise on the 17th. And Austin, what's your purpose for that? Because I know... Obviously, the charts are very different. We can either have an Aries rising with Mars in Cap as the ruler, or we can have the Venus rising. What is it? I mean, if you can share, I don't know if that's an option. Oh, um, I, I think I, I'll probably use the Aries rising for um, uh, uh, an incorporation chart for um, founding a legal business entity. Oh, yeah. I guess with the ruler in the 10th there. Okay. that Like a business, yeah, a business um, it, deal. I, I will probably actually do a couple things over these two days. Um, that Venus, uh, that Venus moon conjunction is so nice. It's and then, juicy. you know, also, also being tightly aspected by Jupiter. Um, I might just do some Venus work there. Um, 
you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll make a thing or maybe I'll ask for favors from a planet. Um, but that's just that, that's really nice. But I, I see that as sort of a separate thing. Like I don't want, uh, I don't want something quite that leisurely, um, for an election that has to do with work. Yes. Um, and accomplishment, um, whereas I wouldn't want the Aries rising if I wanted something Venusian. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then going with the 17th, I just, of course, it's a Tuesday, which is a Mars day anyway. So that's nice for the Aries rising. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, um, it would be the day and hour of Mars with the yeah. sun rising in a Mars ruled sign with Mars exalted in, in the 10th. So yeah. Exalted and- in the 10th and applying to a sextile with Jupiter. Yeah, pretty, not too bad. Pretty, pretty damn nice. Say, well, I was actually just going to say, if you wanted the softer, if you were looking for the Moon Venus stuff, the Monday election, which is the Moon's day, um, might be a little. Even though the Moon Venus aspect is not conjunct, but just to to amp up the Moon a little bit, the shoot the day before that you were looking at Chris, or is it yeah. just later that yeah. And that's yeah. what we were I, focusing on was. Yeah, that. But basically, if you wanted to do a Mars election, this would be a great day. Versus if you wanted to do more of a Venus election, then put Taurus rising. And you can either use this chart on the 17th with like Taurus rising and the moon applying pretty closely con- to that conjunction with Venus and opposition with Jupiter. The only thing we didn't like as much about this for the Venus election is that Venus is already separating from Jupiter at this point. On the seventeenth, whereas if you go back just a day to the sixteenth, then Venus is still applying to Jupiter. So there's yeah, a little think, bit. There's like a trade off there. I don't think that Venus and Taurus needs Jupiter in Scorpio. I think it's like I think that's like a bonus, but um, Venus is one hundred percent fine without any without like you know that applying aspect. Well, sure. even, I mean, even just having the moon applying to Venus in Taurus, I mean, I've used that in elections in the past yeah, just awesome. because that that is fundamentally phenomenal for moon and Venus things. Um, right. But yeah. I, I think, you know, basically Aries rising for like ass kicking and yeah. then Taurus <laughs> rising for food eating. I don't know. Food eating or just getting romantic or doing, you know, fun, pleasure, pampering stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna absolutely. Ba- I'm going to bake some funky stuff with that moon Venus. <laughs> some, You'll some all be wanting to cookies. come over for cake, yeah. Um, these are great. I like this. is good. Yeah, and this is actually – that was one of the things that we noticed and that Lisa really remarked on was that uh, April is a, such a better month for electional charts than last month. Like She had a really hard time finding elections for March, but this month was much easier and all these planets being in – you know their domicile or exaltation really helped in terms of that. So Lisa's found I think at least four other auspicious electional charts for April, and we're about to record uh, the next auspicious elections podcast in the next day or two and release it before the end of this month uh, for uh, patrons of the Astrology Podcast on the five and ten dollar tiers. So if you'd like to get access to that, uh, just go to our page at uh, Patreon.com/slash The Astrology Podcast. Or go to theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe for more information about how to sign up for that. All right. So those are the elections for the month. So let's switch back to the um, forecast. So we're now moving past the middle of the month and we start getting into like the late teens and early 20s. And that's when some other ingresses and other things start taking place, right? Yeah, actually, there's only one sign ingress this month other than the moon, of course, which is switching all the time. And that's Venus moving into Gemini on the 24th. 
Okay. Uh, there was just one other, which is just oh, the sun, normal of sun, Taurus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the sun goes into Taurus on. <laughs> kind of important. Uh, minor detail. Um, yeah. So the sun goes into Taurus uh, very late on the 19th, I believe. Uh, it goes into zero degrees of Taurus. And then what was the date on the Venus ingress, Kelly? Uh, I've got here the 24th, Eastern. Okay. So on so April 24th, Venus completes its trip through Taurus and goes into uh, Gemini. And that's the other ingress that takes place this month. So um, are there any other major sort of alignments? I, I know we have Pluto stationing retrograde April 22nd, which we already mentioned. And then eventually we get a lunation and our, our second lunation at the end of the month, right? Yeah, I mean, the last week of April, we've got Mars sextile Jupiter, which is exact on the 24th. And then we have the Mars conjunct Pluto aspect on the 26th. I know we've sort of touched on those, but just to put the timeline in. And then kind of leading up to, yeah, the Scorpio full moon on the the 29th or the 30th, I guess, depending on where people are. Um, Yeah, I kind of of like the Mars Jupiter. I think it's going to be helpful – for certain things, I think it's going to be maybe just a little bit of an easing potentially um, of some of the heavier energy from the start of the month. And yeah, I'm 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 waiting the birth of a baby in late April, so I'm eagerly watching the charts. You have like a atomic clock, and you're ready to take the time as soon as it happens, or yes, as long as I can get into the country at the right time. But yes, <laughs> okay, nice. Who is that? Um, My sister, actually, one of my sisters who is due to have a baby at the end of April. So I was teaching on electional astrology at Norwalk last weekend. And of course, my sister's getting married. I picked the damn chart and I won't, you know, reveal the whole chart here. But when you put Pisces on the fifth house, um, you're going to fall pregnant really quickly. (laughs) Uh, I didn't want to have anything preventing pregnancy in her wedding chart. And I might have done slightly too good of a job because they weren't expecting to fall pregnant quite so quickly. Anyway, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, congratulations. Uh, that's a funny, funny anecdote for if you slipped that into your electional lecture so far. Yes, I did manage to pop that in last weekend. Um, and of course, the bias that, you know, when when your sister's the astrologer, you know, the ruler of your house will be stronger than the ruler of your partner's house. Um, which we also did. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah. So f- fun stuff that astrologers, well, what astrologers do for fun, electional, electional charts. Um, yeah, but I, li- I like the Mars-Jupiter and then, of course, the Mars-Pluto. I don't know. It just feels more like less heavy in that last week of, of April. I don't know if you guys agree, um, but there's a bit more grace helping the wheels turn, I think. Yeah, I, I would say that it is actually not less heavy, but that the heavy works will proceed much more smoothly. Oh, that's a great definition. I love our Saturn in Virgo word word specificity. Yeah, actually, <laughs> you're, you're right, but... I can say it a better way. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, by this time, late in April, we're getting some distance finally from the Mars-Saturn conjunction. Uh, the moon, we have that full moon that happens in Scorpio with the moon. It will actually be visibly conjunct Jupiter probably now that I think about it. If you can actually see Jupiter oh, yeah. in the sky so- shortly after sunset, 
uh, you'll see the moon and Jupiter will rise up over the eastern horizon right after the sun sets and it gets dark out. So there'll be a nice moon, full moon, uh, moving towards the conjunction with Jupiter at that time, uh, right at the end of the month on April 29th. That'll look lovely for two or three nights, actually, because there's nothing else in the sky around those two planets. So yeah, look up basically at night towards the end of the month and the planet near the moon will be Jupiter. And I don't know, I've always liked the idea of like the bathing in the the emanation or the rays, if you like, the lights of the planet. So if you get clear skies, even if it's the day before or the day after the exact full moon, um, that'll be lovely. And I mean, highly fertile with the moon and Jupiter together in a water sign. <laughs> right, definitely. And it looks like Venus will actually be, it'll come out shortly after sunset as well. So it's like the sun will set in Taurus and yes. then like a little a little bit after that, once it gets dark enough, you'll see Venus for just a little bit before it sets over the western horizon, over the descendant uh, there in early Gemini. Yeah, she's getting, she's going to be quite bright in the western sky through the latter part of the year, well, at least for a few months. Right, as she gets closer to getting stationing and going retrograde. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I think that brings us towards the end of April then, and that's pretty much the majority of the rest of the sort of major alignments and other things. Were there any major things that we meant to mention but didn't get to that take place in April? I think we touched on everything that I had on my list. Anything you wanted to throw in, Austin? No, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I had anything that we didn't get to. All right, I mean, brilliant. It's, it's hard to go past the Mars Saturn as the major theme, and I think we did a good job of exploring that. Yeah, definitely. Mars Saturn is definitely that conjunction is the focal point of this month. It's something that we're already, you know, leading up to and are clearly building up to here towards the end of March, and, and a lot of us have been noticing, and that'll be probably the main thing that we'll be paying attention to in early April and that we'll still be dealing with some of the after effects of, you know, even until it gets out of Capricorn. And that's actually one of the things that's interesting about that is this isn't a normal sort of conjunction or normal trip of Mars through Capricorn because it's actually going to come back to that sign later this year due to its retrograde period, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, even this initial time in Capricorn is longer than usual because Mars is already slowing down in preparation for that retrograde. Okay. Well, that's a really interesting point then because that's going to sort of elongate some of those conjunctions over Saturn to a lesser extent, but especially Pluto. Yep. Okay. And so Mars then is going to be entering its shadow because it's going to go retrograde at like nine degrees of Aquarius later this year. What degree does it retrograde back to? Isn't it like 23 or 24 Capricorn? Uh, 28. 28. Okay, I was thinking of Venus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Venus but, is like, yeah. So even though it's not, it doesn't get that, get that blah, back that far into Capricorn, mm-hmm. it still spends another month in Capricorn during that retrogression period because Mars is extremely slow leading up to the station and yes. then takes a while to accelerate and leave that station. So we're actually going to have another month of Mars uh, in Capricorn later in the year in the summer or in the third quarter. Right. It looks like it's focusing on late August or August, Second especially half a of little August. bit. Of... Yeah. The first 10 days of September. Okay. okay. So that means that by May, like the middle of May, Mars will hit that 
28 degrees of Capricorn that it'll eventually retrograde back into. So by that point in middle in the middle of May, it'll be in its shadow period, basically. Yeah. Just a yep. few days before Mars goes into Aquarius, which happens on the same day that Uranus goes into Taurus, which I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about next month. Indeed. <laughs> yes, that is going to be one of our major things we're going to focus on next month in our forecast for May. So we will save that though for next time. And by the time we're getting doing that forecast, we will be in like the home stretch for UAC and for the, the run up to the United Astrology Conference. So I'll put out a call for questions here, probably in that forecast episode, basically. But if people want to start thinking of some good questions, for that meetup, especially if you're planning on attending the United Astrology Conference in Chicago towards the end of May. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your questions. So I'm not going to start taking them yet, but start thinking about them. And then I'll put out an open call uh, by the beginning of May. And hopefully we'll see a lot of you at that conference uh, in a couple of months now. As someone was saying at Norwalk last weekend, it's a sextile to Norwalk. So... <laughs> That's an astro nerd joke, <laughs> but it's getting very close. Yeah, it's we're so close. It's been coming for years now. Like this has been in preparation for like five years or something like that. So it's kind of wild that it's already here. There's a ton of like really interesting stuff that's already building up for it. I mean, like Austin's book coming together, us doing the live podcast episode. There's going to be a ton of great talks. Like we actually found out a few weeks ago. If you go to the uh, website. You can register, like pre-register and like indicate what on the schedule, what lectures you're planning on attending. So there's like a ranking. If you go to the UAC website, you can oh, sort it by well, you can sort it by like, you know, which lecture seems has the most people signed up for it already. And I know me and Austin and Kelly, I think all three of us are pretty high in the in the rankings. So yeah, Talk that's about exciting. Pressure. God, can't we just wait and worry on the day whether anyone turns up? We've got to have this pressure for two months. No, it's good to know ahead of time that you, you're going to have a full audience and some people to talk to. So what I guess it, it helps with handout prep for sure. Really quickly, like what are you guys' lectures? I'm speaking on the, the master of the nativity or the overall ruler of the chart in ancient astrology, as well as a lecture on the origins of the house division debate where I show how and why in the Hellenistic tradition, house division became a major debate and why it's still a significant debate that needs to be reconciled today. Uh, what are you guys talking about? Um, I'm going to talk about decans. It's a shock to everybody, I'm sure. Um. <laughs> awesome. Good. That's so fantastic. Talk on the decans and the topic of your, of your book? Uh, yeah, the topic of 36 faces. The, the, the sold out 36 faces, might I might I add. Um, yeah, I'll be talking about the history of the Deccans and looking at the images and talking a little bit about how to use them in delineation and what they do and what they don't do, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll be looking at some weird pictures. Some weird Brilliant. pictures. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Brilliant. That um, seems awesome. What are you speaking on, Kelly? Well, I'm speaking on – I'm giving two lectures. I think I'm on Friday morning and Sunday morning, and I'm giving one talk on activating your aspects. So it's sort of a deep dive look at aspects, how to figure out which aspects are the most important aspects in your chart, and then kind of what to do with them. Uh, so lots of interpretation. And then the second lecture is on special signatures in the birth chart, which I just had to remind myself of by quickly looking at the conference at the website. And in this one, we're going to look at 
it kind of it's a deep dive into planetary interpretation. So what are some of the extra meanings that you can get out of the planets other than just planet sign house? Um, so I'll be bringing in some of our lovely traditional ideas about planetary strength and planetary visibility. Um, so that'll be really interesting. So both of them will be uh, going deeper on natal chart interpretation. Awesome. Brilliant. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing both of your lectures and seeing both of you there as well as uh, everybody that listens to the podcast. So I think we'll wrap up now. Um, one of the things I meant to mention is if you uh, like the podcast, you want to support it, make sure if you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you go and rate the podcast since that helps other people to find us. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can also always become a subscriber on Patreon and get access to bonus content. And then people are always asking me afterwards what software I use. And I always forget to mention that I'm using Solar Fire when I'm displaying charts uh, for these live forecast episodes. And they've actually given me a promo code for listeners of the podcast where if you purchase the Solar Fire software, you can use the promo code AP15 and you get like a 10 or 15% discount on the software. So definitely check that out. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.